The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Engineering to bridge, Mr. Spock. Mr. Scott. Sir, you'd better get down here. Better hurry. Open it. The decontamination process is not complete. You'd flood the whole compartment. The door's locked, sir. Out of danger. You saved the crew. And this... This is what you would have done. It was only logical. I want you to know why I couldn't let you die. Why I went back for you. Because you are my friend. London. It's Thursday, October 10th, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. We'll be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today. We're 519-661-3600 is always the number you can call to reach us or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And I think today's show is going to be a little bit of fun, a little on the lighter side, Robert, as we talk about television and movies and what's new and a few things of what's old out there. For my part, I'm going to be reviewing a rather old movie called Old by Old, I mean 1990, uh, kind of a hidden movie, and I, I'm going to refer to that as uh, Capitalism is Where the Heart Is, and that's the name of the movie, Where the Heart Is. And it's one of those unusual movies that combines capitalism in a, it, it, with the plot in a very positive light, even though it's a strange movie. We'll be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the latest trend in watching television, which apparently is binge-watching. Apparently you and I partake in that too, Robert, <laughs> according to the definition. And what about yourself? What are you going to be focusing on for this week? I think we're going to be looking at some of the new shows, are we? I'm going to start off with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. a review of that. Uh, we've both seen it, so I think we've got to say about it. it. And um, following that, we'll talk about some of the new television shows out there. There's a lot of them, and I've seen a lot of them so far. And I'll just give, give my thoughts Where do about you them. get the time? I don't know. I make it for the show. <laughs> I sacrifice myself and watch TV for the show. Oh, there it is. Good at the show. What a, show. what a job, eh? I could get paid for that. <laughs> Siskel and Eber yeah. here. Yeah. So anyway, let's start off with Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, basically, Wrath of Khan 2, if you ask me. Um, now, I'm a really devoted fan of Star Trek, as you are, Bob. And I can get pretty picky when it comes to... <laughs> any post-Roddenberry continuation of his great canon of work. The latest edition in the movie um, Star Trek Into Darkness, I have to admit I'm really enjoying this reincarnation of the original characters, albeit in a new timeline. Everything basically is wiped clean, new slate, new character, new actors playing the same characters in a different timeline. Uh, it looks like a good romp. Uh, perhaps above any other aspect of the new Star Trek um, reincarnation, what the actors had to get right, what the creators had to get right, was the casting. And I think they couldn't have done it better. Oh, I agree entirely. With Chris Pine playing Kirk, Zachary Quinto as Spock, Simon Pegg as Scotty, and Carl Urban as Dr. McCoy. Now, mind you, Simon Pegg playing Scotty, he just doesn't get it just right, I think. Um, I think they looked up for anybody with a Scottish accent, to tell you the truth. I like Simon Pegg. I liked him in a lot of the stuff that he's done before, but the Scotty thing, it's just not working as well as I thought it could what be. What do you mean by not working? I I, I, I thoroughly enjoy his, his character. Do you? And... Uh, I'm not looking for a literal reinterpretation of what the original characters did. However, even so, I'm I'm amazed at how close they come to the mark. Oh, they uh, do, but not uh, with not as much with Simon Pegg. I mean, he's, well, he's okay. Maybe, maybe you've been watching it a little too closely. <laughs> no, it's okay. But but I have to tell him. I have to tell you this. Of them all, 
I really have to hand it to Carl Urban for nailing the character of Bones. He has nailed it. He has it down with every movement and inflection. His lines are delivered with just the right amount of the usual irritation that DeForest Kelly gave the original character. Well, he's not a doctor. He's an actor. Carl <laughs> <laughs> Urban, he has perfected that, um, that imitation of the DeForest Kelly uh, Bones. By the way, you might recognize Carl Urban as... Aomir from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, a movie I, I understand you hated, <laughs> Bob. Yeah, because he was in it. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, no, he was Aomir in Lord of the Rings. I, I, you know, I didn't recognize that. I really didn't recognize that until I looked up Carol Urban uh, on the internet and found out what he'd done pri prior mm -hmm. to Bones. Now, the latest film has a number, though, of flaws which detracted from my complete enjoyment of it. Now, we're talking about interdarkness here. Uh, there was the obvious throwback or homages to the original characters with their repetition of lines from the original Rotha Khan movie. Uh, for example, the needs of the many, blah, blah, blah. Or, you have been and always will be my friend. Or, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yes. The screaming out of God I'd actually, by Spock. I had actually <laughs> considered, we talked about this, juxtaposing that audio bite with the original. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. You know, the original is way more dramatic in a way yes and i found this one to be embarrassingly comical when spock screams out con at, at i death. i'm i'm embarrassed to tell you i broke out laughing when that <laughs> happened and i said okay uh, you know there's a couple of things that were very different and why i don't think they should have done that because it was i understand they want to do a kind of a parallel of some sort right is that mm -hmm. some part of the theme of this new star trek same people put into a different situation right so, okay, I get that. I don't know why they have to do that. It seems like an unnecessary thing to do. But when, the, when, when this was done, I, it wasn't the same circumstance. Remember the first time exactly. when Spock, and I don't mean just in the movie. I mean for us, the viewers. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, because it's our sense of disbelief that the movie creators have to get over. And in the first time when, when Spock, Leonard, Leonard Moy, died in Star Trek II, um, at the hands of Ricardo Montalban there, I, I remember that being a great movie and people walking out of the theater with tears in their eyes. You know, totally emotionally involved in it. Why? Because they knew in real life that all the talk was, nobody knew if Spock was coming back. Leonard Nomoy was talking about getting out of, the, out of that show, didn't want, didn't want to go back to Star Trek. So yeah. we, all, we all experienced a sense of loss, not just in the movie, but in the, in the loss of the character in a, in a great Star Trek yes, series. Indeed. So much so they had to bring him back. Another mistake, the way they brought him back, I think, I think they, they always have time travel. What's your problem? You can, you can always fix that kind of thing. <laughs> but still, I think that was the big difference. And... I didn't have that emotional connection, and not for a minute that I believe that Kirk or, yes. or Spock would end up dead in, in this movie. So I just, it was laughable, I'm yeah. sorry. It was embarrassing a little yeah. bit anyway. The, the real annoyance for me was it, that while you may have come to expect similarities in words and deeds by characters transcending two different timelines, for Spock to scream Khan in the same manner that Kirk did in the original was all too an obvious joke. It was only softened by Sulu, who, two seconds later, says, God, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> As his ship barely misses yeah. another in space. Right. And I think that that, in the script, was meant to say that, you know... A, a, close, a close interpretation, or... Yes, that was a close interpretation yeah. of Kirk's yeah. uh, con back in the Rothicon. Now, we also I see... I think it all, it's all a con. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big con game, yeah. <laughs> we also see the Quinto Spock exhibiting much more emotion than the Nimoy Spock ever did. You know, crying at Kirk's death and having a lover spat with Uhura. Out of character in any timeline. The reason we loved the first crew of the Enterprise was their close-knit camaraderie, with only the occasional griping by Scotty over the state of his engines and McCoy over Spock's lack of emotion. Now, these little irritants aside, I have to remember that my overall enjoyment of Star Trek, the original series, was that it portrayed a united, peaceful Earth joined together in a federation of similarly advanced and peaceful planets for common purpose. In this most recent telling of the story, we have a timeline where Earth is far from peaceful, where a man is convinced or um, yeah, to convince to kill himself and to murder hundreds in exchange for saving his daughter. We have a member of Starfleet Academy. Um, Admiral Marcus betrays Starfleet by creating a starship solely for war. This kind of internal corruption sullies the hopeful future conveyed by the original series. I grant you, it's certainly more true to life 
given what we know today, we're a lot much more of a mature audience than we were back in the 60s. But what I enjoy about science fiction and art in general is its escapism away from our normal conflicts and into something positive. Now, with the ultimate destruction of Admiral Marcus in this movie, I can only hope that this new Star Trek goes more boldly, if you would, into a direction more in tune with the original, where the characters had less internal conflicts and banded together against the common enemy. It's almost as if you're saying you prefer Star Trek in the romantic vein rather than in the real realism vein. Exactly. You've got it, Bob. Yes. It's romanticism versus the slice of life type mm -hmm. of stuff that we get so all the time. It's more setting the ideal than... But you can't, you can't leave the reality behind in order to make the ideal plausible. I think that's part of... It's such a tough... Tough thing to walk. I don't. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be the people having to put some of these shows together, counting on things like ratings to make to make it go. You know. Mm -hmm. Remember, romantic um, art portrays an ideal. Yes. I'll not be talking not about a that slice of life. Not a slice of life. Um, now, with that said, let's move on to a couple of the shows that have just uh, recently hit the airwaves. Marvel's Agents of Shield. Have you seen it, Bob? Not as yet. Have you um, seen the movie I'm the Avengers? I'm a fan of Joss Whedon. I'm a fan of a mm -hmm. lot of the Marvel characters. Um, my friends and, and co-workers who watch this stuff, they don't like it very much. They're a little... Mm -hmm. how, have you seen it? Yes. I've and? seen the movie The Avengers, from which it flows, and, of course, the first two episodes of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, so far, it's been a disappointment. I mean, I'm a big Joss Whedon fan, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Firefly. Um, even the movie The Avengers was his, which was a good movie. But the, the cast in this TV show is just not clicking. There's no magic. And the first two episodes seem to try and please a more teenage audience rather than you and I, Bob, the 40-plus crowd who actually grew up on Captain America and that's the That's interesting, yeah. You know, that's, that's why I think that the target's audience should... I thought the writing could have been a little more clever, a little more mature, a little less pedantic. Uh, but no, they seem to be Does trying Does it sound to like they're going in that direction? Maybe they're trying no. to establish some things out of the way first. Sometimes they're, you find the pilot and first two shows of something a little pedantic because first of all it's new to you and they have to explain right? the backstory and, and all, all that, that yeah. kind of stuff i always i always grant them a lot of leeway in mm -hmm. the first couple shows and, and I that's what i've up. told my friends as well it yeah. says look it's joss whedon i'll give him a chance yeah. you know and i've given them two chances so far I'll, I'll probably watch another four or five i don't know because it's an action show and i like the odd action show but if that if that cast doesn't get it together as a crew you know, um, then I have nobody to root for. I need a protagonist that you want to root for, somebody with a strong moral sense, a mm -hmm. strong moral character who can knit a crowd together, like like Captain Kirk in Star Trek. Yes, you know, yeah. you know, that's what I'm looking look for. A hero. A hero, you got it. Moving on uh, from Marvel, let's go into a little bit of comedy here. And the first one I want to tackle is The Crazy Ones, starring Robin Williams and um, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I liked it. I and, really did. And, you know, and it's hard to find a good comedy out there today that I'm going to like, and I like this one. You know, it's funny. The first time I saw it, I said, okay, I'm not going to like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then you asked me, what would you think of it? And I said, well, it didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that was my way of saying uh, it broke the ice in a way that, okay, they got past the tough part. I didn't want another Mork and Mindy, which ironically we've been playing a bit of on the show lately. And... Um, and of course, that was a large part of his television persona, still known. I'm sure Mork and Mindy's in rerun somewhere. But uh, very, very, I was impressed. I, this show, again, not overwhelmingly ha-ha funny, although it had its moments. We're mm -hmm. going to hear a few. And There's uh, a serious touch to it. it it's, it's got a very serious touch. And you know, anything we, we play from on these uh, audio bites today, you're going to miss part of the dimension of any sure. show that we're talking about. But, now, I, I really like the physical, manic humor of Robin Williams. Always have, have so since Mork and Mindy, mm -hmm. which was more or less a vehicle for him. Mork and Mindy could not have existed with another character playing Mork. It's just impossible. It was a, it was a Robin Williams show. So it comes as no well, surprise. It was unique. <laughs> <laughs> yes, especially since we've just been reliving them. Uh, yeah. You've got, uh, what, the first I'm season? I'm very aware of it season. now, yeah. yeah. We talked about how different the show is, even even working with it for, for, for audio bites. It's a different kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, the guy is, is lovable, so it's no surprise that in the, you know I like his latest offing. Uh, the Crazy Ones, where he plays the chief executive of an advertising firm. Uh, Williams is slightly less manic than he's in than his days from Mork. Uh, what is he? He's got to be 
60. 62. 62. I but, think, yeah. Oh, he's your age. A little older, but yeah. okay. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's I'm pushing, counting? <laughs> I'm pushing it there. <laughs> Uh, you know, but um, he still has the ability to elicit a laugh in this new series. The more subdued role of uh, Simon Roberts as his character is no stretch for Williams, who has played a wide variety of characters from, remember, Mrs. Doubtfire to Peter Pan, yes. Patch Adams, or the professor in Dead Poet Society. Some, He's some actually a good yeah. actor. He's a good actor in dramatic roles, comedic roles, doesn't matter. He plays the gamut, he does it well. Um, but when given the chance to break out um, into craziness in this show, Robin's, uh, Robin uh, Williams delivers. You know, it's funny. The first time I watched the show, I had that, that wall up, you know, that, yep. that, that resistance. Criticism. Right. Yeah. Second time I watched it, it was a hundred times funnier than the first time because the wall was down. Yeah. It's amazing how, how so much of what we perceive on television and how we perceive a television show is based on our sense, our mood at the time, really. I've, I, I can tell you many times I've seen the same show in one sitting and I hated it. Watch it later and go, wow, that was a great show. How come I didn't notice that before? Mm -hmm. and, and very rarely the other way. Now, you've put together a clip, uh, a little collage of a clip from The Crazy Ones with yep. Robin Williams, and we're about to hear that now. Give everybody a little taste of it. Yes, it's... Uh, it, now, what I found very strange was the overt advertising. I hope you don't think this is a McDonald's advertisement we're playing here. Because <laughs> obviously... You notice... You suppose McDonald's paid to, to, to sponsor this first episode? You know, I don't know. That would I'm be interesting be because, of course... Uh, you couldn't have made a better McDonald's ad than this first episode. <laughs> if they're going to be using actual uh, commercial endeavors out there during this show, it's going to be very interesting because the because they're in the episode, advertising business, yeah, right? Yeah, the pilot episode was about McDonald's. What's the next episode and, about? I wonder. And of course, Robin Williams plays the chief of a of a of a bunch and of advertisers who have the McDonald's contract and are about to lose it, and that's where this next scene begins. Our concept is real beef, real potatoes. Excuse me, why are you pitching this? Because I'm the creative director of this agency. You people are now officially wasting my time. Where is your father? Good morning, everybody. Welcome, Clan McDonald's. Ah, it looks like somebody had an unhappy meal. Sit down, Simon. I have something difficult to say. Is it rubber baby buggy bumpers? Because I always struggle with that one. Although I have no problem with Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Maybe it's because I identify with Sally as a salesperson. You can't charm your way out of this one. Really? It's charming as you used to be. Ooh. Oh, used to be. Past tense. We have a past and now it's tense. Authenticity. Real We're fired. Real... Is that what you came to tell us? That's the rumor. Zach sleeps around. He hears things. He may have even slept with somebody here in this room. Show of hands, who here has slept with Zach? You have a pitch for me, Simon? I feel like I should. Uh, real cows. Milk from udders. My daughter. Sometimes when I look at her, I still see my baby cakes, my piglet. Dad. Remember the first time I took you to Mickey D's? You were five. Buck teeth and pigtails. That was just on me. Weird year. Uh, maybe we should take Those were simpler minutes. times. I was flat broke. But I still had enough money to buy her a Happy Meal. Made me look like a king to her. I miss those times. I think we need a little break. Yeah. Yeah, we do. This is a McDonald's spot from 1972. Zach, my man, help me out. So much life to be lived. So much life to be lived. So much me? to be tried. Oh, so much to be tried. And when you share it, and when you share it, you get a special feeling inside. What if we take those lyrics and upgrade the images? Combine that with the right voice. You know, someone wholesome, someone incredible. Someone gettable? Someone famous. Someone available. The refrain from that 1972 spot was, you deserve a break today. And today, people really need a break. Food is one thing, Hannah. But a moment together with family is everything. Human connection. Look at each other in the eye. It was special moments. But it's so gone. So missed. I propose we redo that 1972 spot and take a chance of making people feel. You know how I feel right now? Like a guy who's gonna sell an assload of hamburgers and some reasonably sized soft drinks. 
find. Get me that voice. Perfect. By tomorrow. Even better. Simon. And Zachary? Zachary. You're looking to remake your brand. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to remake mine. Rebranding. Perfect. That's what we do. No one does it better. See, the old Kelly. Oh, please. Classic oh, Kelly. Kelly classic. Whatever. I want to sing about sex. Oh. Whoa. Perfect. Oh, well, I want to change my image. Mm -hmm. So I'll do your commercial, mm -hmm. but I want to sing about sex. She wants to sing about sex. Wow. Okie dokie. Great. I, we love sex. It's my Big favorite. Fan. And we just need to come up with a meat-related sex song. For a family restaurant. I mean, how hard could that be, really? I mean, it almost writes itself. I mean, you think of, like, warm buns, yeah. a hamburger patty, you know, uh, pat my patty. How about, like, a pickle? Like a oh, stick a pickle in the bun. Now yeah. the fun's begun. Now. Boss. <sighs> Secret <sighs> sauce. <sighs> drive through loving. Oh. Drive, drive through loving. Baby, oh. drive through Hot bag of love, yeah. Open the window. Here you go. Thank you. Come again. I catch up. Oh my gosh, are, are you planning on writing this whole song right now? No, no, we're just spitballing. I mean, the final version will be even more polished. <laughs> I'll pick the song. Ooh, we are so fine with that. Perfect. <laughs> This is a sex song. I know, isn't it fantastic? No. Well, what happened to you deserve a break? She didn't want to do it. We're rebranding. This is the new Kelly. Uh, Hannah's never gonna go for this. It's all I could get. What is Zach doing? He's fluffing, he's flirting. We're gonna pivot her into the right song. It's a Hail Mary, what can I say? Oh my god. But I like to see him. We're gonna have to sanitize that whole area. Dad, where is the pivot? Wait for it. I have much longer. Oh my god. I'm about to watch America's sweetheart orgasm in front of my father. It's the moment that gives it the stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's my cue. Showtime. I think Miley Cyrus watched this, did she? <laughs> I think that's our cue, too. And we are so fine with that. <laughs> that was funny. I think there may have been some twerking going on there, too. I'm oh, not too sure. Right there. Anyway, that was uh, The Crazy Ones with Robin Williams, uh, a comedy that I think I'm going to enjoy watching over the... Unless it's yeah. canceled. <laughs> well, well, that's something we're going to be talking about in the last yeah. part of the show today. Now, here's a show, another new show that perhaps should be canceled. It's called The Goldbergs. And the Goldbergs. Let me write yeah, that off my list. It's a real stinker. <laughs> uh, you know, narration is something pretty hard to pull off in a TV show or even a movie. Ridley Scott knew this when he made Blade Runner. Do you know that they actually made a version with a small bit of voice over narration and a version with no narration? And what worked well, although I prefer the version without the narration. Now, Dexter had it, but it turned out to be essential to getting into the mind of a serial killer. You can't do it any other way except to have him express his thoughts like in the narration. But comedy, however, is in need of narration is like trying to explain a joke. If you had to explain it, then it wasn't funny to begin with. Perhaps trying to emulate the Wonder Years. Remember that show, Bob, where a grown man yes. used narration to set the scene for a comedy about he's growing up in the late 60s, early 70s. Now, the Goldbergs tries the same thing except narrating a dysfunctional family in the 80s. Perhaps it's just me, but I have things in my fridge from the 80s. It just <laughs> seems too soon to try to explain that the Internet didn't exist in 1985. The characters are hopeless with no redeeming qualities, poor acting, poor writing, no funnies. I wish this show a short life. Has it been canceled yet? It'll probably go on for ten seasons. Really? Because <laughs> you know the American audience well, would not that just well. <laughs> eat this up. Um, anyway, another one. Uh, another one to really watch, though, is a comedy called Mom. Okay. Now, you want to watch this M-O-M, -M, Mom. Straight, like, yeah, M-O-M. Okay. It's not an acronym or anything. Okay. It's called Mom, right? 
Um, it's by Chuck Lorre. Uh, people mm. who would know the Big Bang Theory out there is Chuck Lorre. This is Chuck Lorre. Edgy humor. I'm going to continue watching this one. The first pilot was really well done. The the, the comic, the comedian, um, the jokes were about things like her mother take making meth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which she just called, you know, basically uh, working. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you want to watch that one. Anything Chuck Lorre touches, I think, is pretty much gold. Another one out there is Dads. You got Mom. Mom and Dads. Hey, well, dads. They're covering yeah. everybody. Um, no, that's not Dad. One that's with an S on the end. It's D A D S. Okay, just making sure I hear this right. I know. <laughs> I haven't I heard of any of these last, shows yet. Last night I was telling Bob the list of the shows <laughs> I'm going to go over, and I'm going, Mom, and he's writing it down, Dad's. Yeah, get it. And then and I, and he writing get it. Then no, I don't, no, no, I mean get it, as in get it. Yeah, this I'm, is one you want to watch. I'm writing it down as the title of a show. Get yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Dad's. The yeah, fact okay. that it stars Seth Green. And Martin Mull. Now, you remember Martin yeah. Mull from um, Fernwood, Fernwood Tonight. Tonight. That's going way yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, and has Seth MacFarlane as an executive producer. Might just make this show watchable from time to time. I mean, uh, this is just a personal thing, but comedy on television sitcoms, I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. The, the rare ones are going <coughs> to, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll gravitate to, but uh, other than that... I'll take them from time to time. And I think this one is, is going to be okay from time to time. Now, another one is Super Fun Night. This almost escaped my uh, radar when I was looking for new shows to watch, but it stars an Australian stand-up comedian, uh, Rebel Wilson. What can I say except uh, this office sitcom seems to have just the right zany chemistry to work. You really should get get this one, Bob. Super Fun Night. Why is it called that? Well, is there anything uh, in the title that gives... It started off with uh, these bunch of uh, co-workers from an office uh, sitting in Rebel Williams' house with a jar of things that they want to do, you know, to enjoy the evening. A super fun night, it's called. Okay. The jar is called, and they would have to pick something out and do it no matter what. Of course, they, they don't, but... Okay. Um, it's actually, I think this is like a vehicle for Rebel Williams, much as Mork and Mindy was a vehicle for Robin Williams, but... Uh, Oh, Rebel Wilson, I'm sorry. Uh, but the, yeah, I think she's good, and I think the chemistry is working. So I hope Keep an eye for that one. Now, get off comedy for a minute here and talk about Atlantis, a BBC Wales Jason and the Argonauts, basically. Oh, oh, I might like that. I'll watch this show. I'll watch any show involving Greek gods and minotaurs, basically. <laughs> you remember, um, oh, what was it? Xena, uh, Xena Warrior Princess. Xena, yes. That kind of campy uh, physical. Oh, it's like that, is it? It's that kind of okay. a show, yeah. Um, it has a twist at the beginning where the, you have a present-day Jason descending into the ocean in a one-man submersible to investigate the wreck of a ship called the Oracle. Now, a bright light appears, and he's thrown back in time. It's a light adventure drama with a hint of comedy, a little cheese, as, um, who was it, Scott Stinson in the National Post today called it. He says, Atlantis approaches the period piece with a considerable helping of cheese. <laughs> and he says, it's aggressively campy, um alternating between slapstick chase scenes and overly dramatic proclamations um, I liked it I think I'll watch it now also watch in this one for Alexander Siddig you remember oh, him yes. as Dr. Bashir from Star Trek Dark Deep Space Nine, Space Nine yeah. yeah he's appears as King Minus um, you like Ricky Gervais yes Hmm. Then you might like this one. It stars his. Uh, it's called Hello, Ladies, and it stars Stephen Merchant, who goes uh, alone with um, his own comedy about a couple of geeks trying to pick up chicks. Oh. If you like that kind of, it's a sort of an embarrassing humor. But I think Stephen Merchant is a brilliant comedian, as as is Ricky Gervais, and you're going to probably find a couple of gems in here. Um, Witches of East End. It's a supernatural fantasy drama which held my interest um, enough to look forward to the next episode. It's. Um, it took itself seriously and not too seriously enough to watch it. And also, and I'm going to end with this one, Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman awake from the grave into present-day Sleepy Hollow. When will these people ever run out of ideas? I don't know. But I actually <laughs> enjoyed that one. Good. So, that's it for me, Bob. Let's hear what you have to say. Well, it's a celebration of art and capitalism. And, yes, you heard me. Art and capitalism together and not as adversaries. Have you heard of such a thing? Yes. In a movie? 
Um, <laughs> rarely. <laughs> and, and I'm going to be covering what I would call maybe one of my favorite, quote, guilty pleasure kind of movies. Remember Siskel and Ebert came up with that term? Not the greatest movie on the earth in terms of, you know, it's, it's important stuff, but it just has something in it. it it's, it's a feel-good movie set in the midst of adverse, you know, adversity and failure, which is very interesting in and of itself. It's a comedy. It's a drama. And despite what you might infer from some of our upcoming audio bite selections from the film, it is a wholesome family entertainment. And most of all, and a bit regrettably for the audio medium, it's about art and beauty, and the visual experience of this film is really part of what drives its attraction. Yet each of the interwoven and parallel subplots and substories in the movie all speak to that com common theme of art and capitalism. In both senses of the capitalism word, I might say, both the business sense and the greater sense. The moral sense. Yes. But here's the real difference in this movie. It, it's a, it is a celebration of capitalism from the dark side. Risk, bankruptcy, financial failure. You know how we always talk about capital, capitalism being a profit and loss system, mm -hmm. right? Well, these characters Fall, for, fall from the greatest heights to the bottom of bottoms. I mean, from being millionaires to sitting in a car with plastic bags over their head like, like the Beverly Hillbillies in the back of the truck. I kid you not. That's how it goes in this. And this movie is not meant to be realistic. But we'll be back again after we hear these sample audio bites on, and on this side of the break and again when we return from the movie Where the Heart Is. But now, and don't I'll confuse this Where the Heart Is, which was made in 1990. 1990. Because there's a couple of... Dabney Uma Thurman. Right, because yes. there's another one out there from 2000, Correct. which is not what we're talking about here. But in this uh, first scene that we hear, it follows, uh, takes place following a fashion and art show featuring the work of Dab Dabney Coleman's daughter and a couple of his other kids, plus the work of some of their friends in the related arts and fashion fields. And that's what will lead us into our discussion in the next quarter. We'll be back. Oh, God, he hated it. They all hated it. Well, not all of them. Some of them were just bored. No, 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 come on, come on, come on, I'm just kidding. I loved you. Oh, uh, yeah, you did. Oh, I loved you. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> um, most amazing man has just offered me a contract to produce my own collection. Can you believe it? It's great. How much is he paying you? Well, uh, it doesn't work like that, Jimmy. Uh, they are giving me a huge uh, cut of the profits. <laughs> Oh, Chloe, that was amazing. I, what can I say? Roll over Picasso. Picasso? You never even looked at a painting before you met Chloe. Chloe's work has opened my eyes. Flies. Aesthetically provocative and stunningly sexy. Well, now, how would you like to create a calendar for a client of mine? An insurance company money? Oh, yes, quite a substantial amount, yes. Yeah, it's really flattering, but uh, I want to be a serious artist, thanks. Well, the most serious artist in New York work in advertising. I'd venture to say it's the only true art of our time. Think about it, Chloe. I guess I'll have to prostitute myself. Let's keep that as a last resort. My art, not my body. To do that stupid calendar for that insurance company. Why am I January? Why am I not June? Is it because I'm cold and bleak? That's it, isn't it? That's why I freeze out all the boys. Mmm. I'm glad I'm not you, Chloe. I bore myself to death. You're definitely January, Daphne. Perfect. Great. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Hi. 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 Uh, <laughs> a bit uh, risque for an insurance company calendar, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, well, it's a risk I'll have to take. You can't take out insurance against failure in art. Oh. I uh, never considered the possibility of uh, failure. You're stuck, aren't you? I guess I'm stuck. 
January is uh, earthquakes. February, bolt out of the blue or maybe broken hearts. <laughs> um, April's a flooded room. Water damage. And December is a <laughs> broken windows. And um, July could brilliant. be uh... absolutely brilliant is what it is. They all relate to insurance. God, it's it's the environment. It's nature. It's us. And I love the clever suggestion of lurking disaster, earthquake, fire, flood, snake bite. And remember. You fellas have got a first on this. Acts of God. Only we insure against them. Oh! I really need an advance to finish the sequence. I know that payment is on delivery, but uh, maybe if you could just... I don't see that as being an insuperable problem. Do you, Homo Shimo-san? Shoki! The market has crashed! How bad is it? Let's get out of here. Get everybody together in Bob's office. Why don't I go run on down to the floor? Let's hope it's not another black money. Oh, no, you don't. I'm bubbled. I've compromised my arm. We're broke. We're being evicted, and your own son is starving. Well, we've all got our problems. Look, have a contract. Finish the sequence. They've got to pay you. Let me go. chicken leg in your hands. Come forward. Do what I say. Come. Come forward, brother. Yeah, come forward. Speak your heart out, brother. Yes. <laughs> Speak from my heart? Home is where the heart is. Oh, I lost my home. I lost my family, too. Probably losing my mind. Loosen up, man. You got culture shock, that's all. Ah, uh, my life's over. I can see that now. <laughs> I'm on the scrap heap. I am on the scrap people. You've done big things. A lot of great men die young. They do their thing quick and get out of here. Interesting scene. They literally were on the scrap heap, heap in a dump. I was going to say, was there a bit of comedy in this series? Oh, this, uh, a lot. Movie? Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't know it from some of the clips I've just selected. But this movie is, again, the movie is uh, from, from the 1990 movie, Where the Heart Is, starring Dabney Coleman, Uma Thurman, Joanna Cassidy, Crispin Glover, Susie Amis, Christopher Plum Plummer, believe it or not. He plays really? the bum. I didn't know it was him. Didn't know it was him till last night. I've seen the movie three times and go, where's Christopher Plummer in it? That was him? Couldn't believe it. And a whole whole uh, cast of some familiar people. And uh, actors, I mean. And, you know, we've often talked on this show about what movies or films or TV shows actually have a positive attitude towards capitalism, especially with regards to politics and economics. And the only one we ever seem to come up with, Robert, is other people's money. We always mention with Danny DeVito, yeah. Yeah, with Danny DeVito. And, um, but what to me was almost unheard of within my limited field of cinematic vision anyway, is a film that actually has a positive message about capitalism that relates to art, fashion, creativity, and a whole host of non-political uh, things, even though they're part of the movie. I can't say they're not there, but it's not, that's not what this movie feeds to. And I don't think, I think another difference of this film, and I'm going to be reading a, a very negative review of it by Roger Ebert in a minute, um, is that I sense it's not a film intended to motivate you into any kind of political action or to upset you at or about anything, which is not usual. Not preachy? It's not preachy. 
It's a sit back and just enjoy the silliness and fun kind of movie, despite the sense of, of tragedy that happens in it. Uh, it establishes a kind of a thing where you're a little bit detached from the characters because the movie is really a work of art. You, you're watching, it's almost like a painting. You're watching a painting. And, but it's a painting with a story that, act, that, 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 that plays itself out. And it's really interesting because you become sort of emotionally detached from the characters, not in the sense that you don't care about them, but in the sense that all of them are part of the art in the film itself, literally posing for the art in this girl's calendar that she's creating for this insurance company. And uh, I'll get into the plot shortly. It's a film really intended to be appreciated as an experience. So you can see my slight disadvantage in trying to convey, convey the visual part of this experience on radio. Now, here's a plot summary as I looked it up on, from two, two different sites. Uh, one was by uh, Ari Herzog at IMDB Pro, and the other one is Wikipedia's addition to that. So I just put them together to give us a basic idea of the plot, because I think they, 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 they summarize the plot very simply and succinctly. But the plot is not what this movie is about, so don't get the impression that's all you're going to get. And this is basically the plot of Where the Heart Is, 1990. Stuart McBain, played by Coleman, is a real estate mogul who spends his living blowing up old buildings to make room to erect new buildings. He's in the demolitions business, okay? And, by the way, he regards his demolitions as art. When those buildings come down, you, you, you know, he, he's just in glory, right? He's going, it's perfect, you know, came down perfect, nobody got hurt, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Now, all goes, all goes as planned for a new subdivision until a group of protesters object to the destruction of one lonely, ugly building called the Dutch House. Typically, the media is sent to the scene of the protest and McBain appears on TV in a bad way. His children, Daphne, played by Uma Thurman, and Schlo, played by Susie Amis, and Jimmy, played by David Hewlett, ridicule him for appearing on TV. And as a reward for their remarks, this is, this is funny too, he drops them off at the Dutch, Dutch house in the middle of the night with $750 a piece and tells them they're on their own. They, they didn't even know they were going there. They're driving down the street and they're going, Dad, you're going down the wrong street. And he says, no, you're getting out here. <laughs> Just like that, right? And McBain and his wife Jean watch from afar as their children adapt to the new lifestyle, meeting new friends and inviting others into their new home, including a decrepit bum, played by Christopher Plummer. In order to finance their new lives, the children take on housemates. These include a fashion designer named Lionel, a homeless magician, a stockbroker, and Cheryl, an amateur occultist. I'm telling you, you had the weirdest mix of people in this house. Chlo is commissioned to finish a calendar for an insurance company. Lionel has to complete his designs for a fashion show. Chlo uses her uh, roommates in the calendar, and Lionel ends up using some of them to model for his show, and that's where a lot of the art is, too. The story is told against the backdrop of a stock market crash which brings McBain to ruin. He desperately attempts to stave off a hostile takeover of his demolition company and fails. He loses his home and he becomes destitute. That's the part we just heard. Ultimately, his children take him in and he starts to see the world in an entirely different light. And that's pretty much the, the plot of the movie. The rest is to be taken in and experienced. Now, I went online and there was all kinds of reviews that were done of the movie at the time. Of course, Roger Ebert was in there, who's recently passed away, of course, but this, this was a review he actually wrote in 1990, the year that the movie came out. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he, he give a, gave a little history of it. Apparently, it was originally meant to be set, filmed and set in, in London, England, and, and they, they changed it to a Brooklyn landmark, etc., etc. And then here's the, the crux of his criticism. He says, am I crazy in not seeing this as a New York story? But Brooklyn somehow seems like a tougher and less forgiving environment, especially in this movie's neighborhood, where hookers parade the streets, the homeless are everywhere, and three lazy rich kids would turn into instant targets. Okay? And he says, By failing to create a convincing reality for their city neighborhood, the filmmakers reveal it for what it is, a set. And I'm going, yeah, I think that was kind of the point a bit. And he says one of the ways the movie created a kinder, gentler Brooklyn was by shooting most of it on location in Toronto. <laughs> That's an interesting statement, right? And then he says one of the problems with the Coleman character is that he seems too much like a plausible 
demolition contractor and not enough like the kind of preposterous buffoon whose set ideas about the world could create comedy. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. Then he said, here is the killer. Lurking beneath every would-be eccentric in this film is essentially a reasonable person. That's the case with characters like Chalo. This is still him writing, of, Col- uh, of, of Coleman's daughters, um, whose art combines the body painting of friends with the backgrounds of famous paintings. And I'm telling you, they're beautiful. There's something to behold. So that the friends seem to be part of the paintings. The paintings created for this film by the artist Tim, uh, Timna Woolard are beautiful and interesting, so at least we agree on that. But Chlo seems more like a promising young artist on the way up than a goofy, obsessed genius we might have been amused by. Huh? Uh, this Ebert fella is evil. Uh, I, I couldn't. I'm going, what are you doing? Are you rewriting this movie for them? Or you, you didn't like the movie? Say you don't like it, but don't try and rewrite it. Another character, he says, a fashion designer named Lionel by Crispin Glover, moves into the Dutch house. While you might recognize him from the Back to the Back Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. Crispin Glover. He's a nut. Yeah. <laughs> and he moves into the Dutch house while reading his latest collection. Once again, he seems too plausible to be funny. You see, that was him that we heard earlier saying he hadn't considered failure. So what he considers to be detractions of this movie is the fact that they're reasonable people, they're not buffoons, I, I'm telling and you, that they're upwardly mobile. You know, listen to this, and such characters as the daughter Daphne, Uma Thurman, who's, who's a little bit of a you know, flighty girl, mm-hmm. you'll hear that in the next scene, are so completely normal that we sense comic opportunities being lost on every side. He says, where the heart is, is essentially a fable set in the wrong city. And, okay, that's it. I couldn't read anymore. Okay, it's a fable, so does it matter what city it's set in, really? It can be set in any city. What's his point? Fables have to be realistic? Come on. It's, it, it's the visual surrealism and the romantic artistic settings that are what this movie is. That's what it is. That's its identity. He's looking for and, a tragedy or a comedy. Yeah, he just he wants to rewrite the thing. He says, oh, this is a great talent. I know they were funny. I saw them in this. Maybe they should do that again. Why? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't approach this movie that way. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is not a movie you're going to sit down and expect to be like Star Wars. It's not an adventure in that sense. It's just a pleasant experience. Sit down with your coffee or tea and enjoy it. It's really enjoyable. And, you know, yes, Roger Ebert, it is a set. That's really part of the point. Um, you know, the only that, thing is, Bob, is that is this out on DVD? I don't know because because um, I know you had a you hard time. You found this as a dusty old VHS copy. I found <laughs> in your father's collection. In my, when my father passed away in the late '90s, it was one of four or five movies left in a shoebox. My mother gave it to me, and 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 uh, I says, "What's this doing in here? I haven't heard of this one." And, and she says, "Oh, your father just thought that was a silly movie and not very realistic." And I'm going, "Well, th- that's why that's why it was one of the five he kept." Hmm. Right? Because it is silly. I'm not saying... Silly's not bad. Is that no. a criticism? Um, but in any case, it, I was reading this Ebert review, and I'm going, that's not what a movie review should be, you know. The movie reviewer's opinion of what the movie should be and not what it is, he should be telling us what it is. And so, I, you know, I say shame on Mr. Ebert for that ad hominem attack on things that the movie wasn't. It wasn't ha-ha funny. It wasn't stupid. It wasn't depraved. Coleman wasn't a buffoon. I'm sorry. Is that what it takes to, to impress you? That's, those are the very reasons I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I kept... What is it about this? This isn't such a great movie. Why do I like it so much? What is it about these characters that's appealing? The, the, even despite what, what the father did to the kids, they never once hated him. He never, there was no animosity between them. When, when, when the whole capitalism thing, nobody hated anybody at any, at any time. It was completely, you live life, you get, you get it on, and, and, and you make your own way in the world. These kids, artists and all, were self-strugglers. They would not seek government help in any way. There's even some scenes in the movie that relate that or go to the food bank or anything like that because they wanted to make it on their own and they were going through tough times because they needed the capital to finish their projects. Their projects were money makers. So I like this movie for every reason that Roger Ebert said he didn't like it except for the art. We agreed on that. And uh, the movie's called Where the Heart Is, not Where the Funny Bone Is. Okay. (laughs) It's a gentle and consistent artistic artistic portrayal of a romantic vision in the literary sense of that term. And I think we could talk a lot about the nature of art from this, because what she does in this is she uses photography 
and she photographs her art. But the art is actually drawn. It's painted onto walls and then onto people and photographed, right? So it's a, it's a uni unique form of art. I don't know if we want to get into the Ayn Rand debate over whether photography is art or not, but that's a whole other issue. So as we fade into black on our review of Where the Heart Is, our final audio bite from the movie features some final philosophical commentaries on the motivations of two of the characters. We find our artist Chilo McBain, who is played by Uma Thurman, completing her final, or, or no, by, um, who's the other actress? Dabney Coleman. Uh, no, this was uh, Susie Amis. She was, she was the artist. The other daughter is Dabney Coleman, yes. And she's just completing her final masterpiece for her insurance ca calendar. And why? To capture on canvas one of those fleeting, perfect moments in life. To capture perfection. To capture beauty. That's what this movie's about. And we also find our previously down-and-out uh, culture-shocked Stuart McBain, formerly of the Scrap Heap, now resettled in one of his beautiful mansions. This has a happy movie. This is a happy ending movie. Resting on the lawn of his yard overlooking a fashion show rehearsal through this beautiful pastoral scene that frames yet another work of art. Every scene is, you just sit there, wow, look at that, you know? And he finds himself joined by daughter Daphne, and the two of them have a little talk about the meaning of life and of existence. The double entendres are endearing. You know, he talks about, I saw the light, and he's talking about the light and the truth both together. Anyways, that's the end of this. We'll be back after this with more. It has to do with the sadness that all things pass away and how Manet captured on canvas one of those fleeting, perfect moments in life. Yeah, I guess it was. Guess this is too, huh, Jimmy? It was. As soon as you say it, it isn't. Hmm. <laughs> Well, that completes my calendar, folks. Oh, I take these clothes off now? I put mine on. <laughs> yes. Daphne. I just saw the light. You mean the answer? The truth? Just the light falling in a certain way. Uh, yes. But what does it all mean? Why does the light fall in a certain way? What's the point of life? The point is moments like this. You mean this is it? We're not getting ready for something? We're just getting ready for nothing? I think it's a rehearsal. For another life? For a fashion show. <laughs> Dad. Daphne. tricked us into destroying her shuttle, then transported over while the shields were down. She's trying to free the prisoners. You've got the bridge. You're with me. Get away from that panel! Drop it. Computer, resume program. The holographic simulation has ended. We'll start it up again, right where it left off. Unable to comply. Why not? Additional narrative parameters have not been programmed. Are you saying there's no more story? Affirmative. This is someone's idea of a practical joke, right? Please rephrase the question. Don't you just hate it when your favorite TV show gets canceled in the middle of the story? Yes, I do. I, I tell you, it's one of, it happens all the time, and I think that's one of the reasons people are getting into binge-watching. 
because then at least you can know that most of the series is there <laughs> before you sit down to watch it, mm -hmm. right? And you can watch a bunch in a row. And that's actually been one of my strategies. Sometimes I don't want to watch the first couple episodes because I'm afraid they're going to get canceled and I'll be, I'll be invested, right? And that's already happened to me with one show that I just want to mention very quickly, and that's Under the Dome, which I found quite uh, a lot of fun. Wouldn't have watched it if I knew that Stephen King was behind it. I watched it's not canceled, is it? No. Not yet, but I've I've invested myself in 13 episodes now, and I'm afraid it might be. I don't know. I don't know what the popularity of it is. But that's happened to me so often with so many shows. I know there's one you're talking about right now that's already happened, right? Yes, um, case in point. Just the other night, I watched Lucky 7, the pilot uh, episode of uh, a new show. Um, yeah, this season already, This right? season, yeah. yeah. A couple of days ago it came out, and it's a drama about a group of gas station employees who hit it big and win the lottery. The most interesting character... Uh, on the show was Antonio, the only employee who, rather than play the lottery with his co-workers, decided to save his ticket money, where he would have, which he gave to his wife to buy a new toaster. The wife, thinking that he actually had been buying into the lottery, was ecstatic to hear that his numbers won and threw a big party. Mind you, we're talking big numbers here, like $150 million. Now, when the husband comes home to see the celebration, he explains to his wife that he did not want to throw away his hard-earned money on a long shot, and rather, he saved it for his family instead. A part of the savings going to buy the toaster. When she hears of this, in a fit of rage, the wife smashes the toaster and then immediately kisses her husband, recognizing what sounded like a perfectly wise choice, even though the long shot did come through. She says, you're the best husband and father a person can have. And that was a very touching moment, and you knew from the start that this guy, this Antonio character, was going to be that one character I mentioned before, for example, in Star Trek, or uh, Marvel's Agents of Shields, that you want to follow the antics of everybody else surrounding this fella. He was going to be the protagonist, and this was going to be an interesting show. Cancelled. They got five in the can. Um, haven't seen the rest of them, but um, there goes another show. Before we got okay. two minutes left, Masters of Sex. Yes. Watch it. I watched the first one. It was excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, you know, speaking of shows that were cancelled, there are I'm going to have to keep up with that yeah. one. <laughs> oh. Science uh, has never been that titillating. Okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> The first episode was quite revealing. Oh, no. <laughs> Other shows <clears throat> that got canceled on me that I really liked and I wish they had stayed. One was Moonlight, I told you about, and it was a vampire series, and I hate vampire series. Mm -hmm. And that starred Alex O'Loughlin, who now plays McGarrett on Hawaii Five-O. That's where oh, he yes, went yes, to, yes. to do. I'm still upset about Drive, the first show I recommended You're on You're going to have series. to get over it, Bob. Come but on. I didn't get over it. You know what happened? I watched all six episodes. O only four of which were ever aired. And uh, I watched them just a couple weeks ago, and it was worth the ride. Uh, that show would have been a huge hit. Again, Nathan Fillion, who, who's now with Castle, I don't think he wants to go back. And, of course, there was another show that you reminded me of with that, something of Eastwick there. That was just, just a show called Eastwick, which was very good. And it got canceled in less than a season. Then there was Invasion, this, uh, a show. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the, they canceled in the height of this incredible climax at the end of it. You know, the Invasion just begins, oh, show over. And so, you get a little upset with investing your time in these shows. It and feels not, like a contract has been violated. In, in a sense. And a lot of these were canceled, I have to admit, because of writer strikes at the time. Yep. And one of them was one of the uh, our, our outgoing audio bike that we'll hear at the end of the show as we go out. And that was from a Kelsey Grammer situation comedy called Back to You, which I was totally convinced would have been every bit as good as Frasier, except it got canceled. I enjoyed that show. During a, a writer strike again. And that's how we'll have to end it on today. Not with a writer strike, but with our usual end of our show. And we hope you'll join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. We'll see you. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright But you heard what I said, right? Chuck is your father? I thought it was a sperm donor <laughs> Was that you? <sighs> well, technically, yes Did you know it was his sperm? <laughs> uh, technically, yes <laughs> I didn't understand so, did you go to the sperm bank and ask for Chuck's sperm? Did you ask Chuck for a sperm Okay, here's an idea. Let's just retire the word sperm, shall we? Actually, 
actually, it happened another way. The old-fashioned way. Were you boyfriend and girlfriend? Oh. Uh, uh, well. Were you drunk? <laughs> Tipsy, maybe, but not falling down. Are you insane? Oh, look, I'm sorry. I don't know the ground rules. Are we supposed to tell the truth or just sprinkle pixie dust everywhere? 